This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in the heart of Silicon Beach in downtown Santa Monica. Have a seat. Um, We have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking with um, Johnny Ryan with PageFear. He's calling, speaking to us from Dublin. And we're going to talk about the battle over ad blocking. It's a subject I've been dying to cover for some time. I'm glad we found him. Um, So we're going to have him on in a minute. But first, just want to give you a news update. I don't know if you, you may have heard um, John Hinckley, a judge, is given the go-ahead to release him from prison um, since he actually hasn't been in prison. He's been in a mental facility. Um, John Hinckley was never convicted. He was tried in federal court in D.C. and a different insanity standard and um, was found not guilty by reason of insanity. So the minute a, a judge can determine he was competent, he had to be released. And so he will be released shortly. And uh, it led to me to look up my um, law school evidence professor, Roger Edelman, who tried the case um, just to see what he was up to. And I was sad to learn that he died last year. So rest in peace, Professor Edelman. Um, He always said it was a mistake to file the case in federal court. They would have convicted him in state court. So um, he has – I'm sure he's – he would say that if he were here today. But um, on to more um, current news. We have um, Johnny Ryan with us. Are you here? Ah, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for joining us. And um, so ad blocking has become quite the rage. You, just, you see headline after headline about it. Um, so what exactly is ad blocking? <clears throat> so ad blocking has been growing for the last few years at a steady pace. It is the practice uh, of a consumer installing something generally uh, on their web browser as an extension And what they've installed as an extension has permission from the browser to intercept any network requests they're making and to change them in any way that it wants. So let me give you a for instance. Um, There is a Kardashian blocker. You can install this on your browser and it will block any reference to a or many Kardashians. And in a similar way, there are ad blockers which use a blacklist and will block the request for for any ads that are on that blacklist. Okay. And um, 
why do you think this has become prevalent? Well, if you think about where we are, the history of of the first 20 years of the web, as we're really only uh, experiencing them, this is a history whereby the user is getting interrupted more, the ads are snooping on the user's data ever more, the ads are shouting over each other now to get your attention. You know, the advertising industry has found itself largely through accident and, and a learning as it's going experience. It's found itself having created a kind of a cul-de-sac where advertising has now become almost self-defeating. Um, in a sense, uh, the effort to stand out over other ads has has caused ads to become increasingly annoying on the one hand. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a faith, almost a blind faith in in data, in inverted commas, has caused an increasing uh, move towards um, targeting people through a kind of a pervasive surveillance. Uh, that sounds like a, a rather scary phrase, but actually I think it largely is. So we have an over-reliance on data, which have in the past been proven quite faulty. And, uh, and again, then we have this this cluttering up of the medium, which makes the web um, increasingly a less powerful uh, medium for advertising. So you come here um, being coming from the chief innovation officer formerly of the Irish Times, and now you're the head of the ecosystem at PageFair. And so how do, what, is your, what is PageFair and what's your role with respect to ad blocking? So PageFair, um, I better explain where this came from. So sure. PageFair is based in Dublin, in Ireland, in Europe. And a bunch of network scientists came up with uh, some incredible technologies that powered the multiplayer experience for games like Call of Duty and Guitar Hero. Mm-hmm. And when they sold out to Activision, they, or part of them, became um, publishers of games in their own right on the web. And so these network scientists found themselves being ad-blocked when, when they're running their own games website. And a bunch of those guys then set up PageFair, which for the last six, maybe seven years, has been, has been exploring ad-blocking and trying to figure out what to do about it. And from, from 2013 onwards, PageFair has released annual reports uh, with Adobe uh, on the state of ad-blocking. And in the last few years, they break in the New York Times and um, and provide the industry standard insight on what's happening. And essentially, we've got two parts to our to our our operation. The first part is we give an, we give um, analytics for ad blocking to thousands of publishers, literally, and we're measuring something in the region of about 11 billion page views every month. Um, the other part of our business helps publishers to serve ads in a manner that cannot be circumvented by ad blockers. So in a sense, it's not that the ad is being put back through the ad blocker. It's not that the user's machine is being messed around with in any way. It's that the ad is simply shielded. It's protected. And this then raises a big question for us because on the blocked web, which is where people are blocking, let's say, of the web, you have this amazing opportunity. It's an uncluttered space. It's like we're back in 1995 and the mistakes of the last 20 years are in front of us uh, and we can use them as hindsight. So when we work with publishers to protect their ads, we're actually in a position where we can try to shape what advertising looks like on the blocked web 
so that we don't repeat the mistakes of the last 20 years. That's, that's an awesome responsibility on the one hand, but it's also a reason to bring all the stakeholders together on another. And with the benefits of hindsight, I, I think we hopefully can avoid the mistakes of the past. Now, it's interesting, you know, in, in your, one of your first answers, you made reference to the, the history of the, the Internet over the last 20 years. And um, just for our listeners, um, our guest knows what, what he speaks of because he's actually the author of A History of the Internet and the Digital Future, which is a required reading at both Harvard and Stanford. Um, but, and so when, when you talk about that history... Um, what what does that mean in terms of ad quality? You know, where I mean, where exactly did the industry go wrong? You think? And okay, that's that's the question. <laughs> um, I'll point when, to a statement um, yeah, that was made yeah. by um, someone from the IAB, and um, he said that um, Scott Cunningham yeah, Scott. Uh, from the IAB said, as technologists tasked with delivering content and services to users, we lost track of the user experience. We build advertising technology to optimize publishers' yield of marketing budgets that had eroded after the last recession. Looking back now, our scraping of dimes may have cost us dollars in consumer loyalty. And just for our listeners' um, background on our guest and this issue is, as usual, on our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. So there's a few problems here. Um, on the one hand, this race to cheapness, uh, largely on the part of the marketeers and in the brand's procurement departments, it means that there's a reward for showing lots of, lots of ads, even if they're not especially effective, mm -hmm. for showing lots of ads all over the place. And maybe you're only being charged, depending on the arrangement, on the number of ads that are clicked. So why would you not have many, many ads everywhere? Right. That's a problem. The other problem is that the publishers became increasingly desperate, especially the ones who moved from you know, print or, or TV onto digital. They suddenly, very quickly, woke up to the need to generate revenue online. So they became desperate, and they allowed the advertising part of their businesses to run amok for short-term wins. So instead of preserving themselves for premium, let's say scarce and respectful ads, increasingly many, many publishers allowed just a huge number of ad places to be put on their, on their media. And so when you load up an, an average page, you could easily see 10 ads, easily, if you scroll from top to bottom. You might see mm -hmm. five, you might see 20. <laughs> now, what world does that make sense in when right. you know that we have a limited attention span and that fewer ads means less competition for attention and so that you could charge more for those ads that you show. In a sense, what went wrong is the opposite of what went right for the diamond market. The publishing industry, <laughs> exactly, you, you already get it, right? The publishing industry did not get together and say, we need to preserve user attention and user loyalty and we need to track user loyalty over the lifetime of that user, not over the, the week or quarter of our earnings. Right. And so in the race for short-term wins, they let all sorts of stuff onto the page. And, you know, the other part of that then is there is a system of, of pervasive, pervasive surveillance of your behavior online. Now, for a part of that system, you have willingly opted in. But for the remainder of that system, 
there are third parties of third parties who are dropping pixels and cookies on you, and you have no direct relationship with them. And what's more, the publisher who is facilitating this may even not be benefiting particularly from that. Mm -hmm. uh, and who knows where your data end up on that. <laughs> so uh, in my mind, the web is, is a medium that's unique in one very important respect. Nobody wants people to know what they're doing on the web. <laughs> this, is a, right. this, is, this is a truth. And it could be something as, as, as benign as you're searching for medications, you know, for something you suspect you have or for symptoms, or you're searching for a potential job opportunity, or it could be something uh, illegal or it could be pornography. But either way, when you realize that there is an infrastructure that knows you between websites – that I think is quite chilling for many, many users. And but it's not it's not just the volume and pervasiveness of it, it seems. I think you know, people are objecting to the types of advertisements, you know, the the autoplay um videos or you know, too many pop ups and do you get that sense? Yeah, I mean there there's a there's a problem of format. Some formats are clearly um, more egregious than others. And it's undeniably obvious that a picture of a product, let's say a set of golf clubs, that sits in its own box over to the right, that is hard for anyone to disagree with. Mm -hmm. But if that picture opens up and plays music and jumps around your screen, top spin up because it's so demanding, well, clearly that's a step too far. So... I think what I'm describing as a best case is something very, very close to magazine advertising. It's hard to disagree with magazine advertising and all too easy to disagree with what we think of as online ads. Right. But online ads for, for 10 years were magazine ads. <laughs> I don't know why they aren't again. And, and so what are the consequences of this? And are are the people who are using ad blocking, are they aware of those consequences? Mm, uh, good question. Uh, let's just take off that awareness point first. Okay. You know, I think back to the invention of the remote control. Uh, the first pop remote control was called the blab off the blab off remote control and it was invented in 1952 yeah it's a catchy name isn't it so that was invented in 1952 and you know i i don't think many people would have bought it in 1952 it would have been a real luxury but it was inevitable it was inevitable that you would end up having at least one if not three or four remote controls sitting on your couch by right. the year 2016 so Let's not agonize too much over the conscience of the individual, because even if you like a particular TV channel, you'll feel no compunction, um, even if it's not a subscription channel, on using that remote. It's what people do. They avoid ads. It's time for everyone to get over that. So people avoid ads, and that is not going to change. Now, what are the consequences of when they do it in this particular way? Well, the latest figures that we released looking at largely desktop ad blocking growth, uh, we released them late last year, and we tracked the growth of ad blocking in the United States in particular. We did it all around the world, but in the U.S., the figures were way behind Europe, still pretty big. So from the middle of 2014 to the middle of 2015, 
ad blocking in the U.S. grew by almost 50%. And at that point, there were 45 million people a month actively using ad blocking, which means 15% of the online population. Now, we know that that's going to take another leap up the next time we release our figures. So what happens here is actually, in my mind, a little bit like climate change. It's this steady, incipient movement where um, you have this what's limited here is people's attention and as different publications are advertising you know against the level the common level of attention people start to switch off their attention they install a blocker eventually what will happen is that the mechanism that has supported content on the open web for the first 20 years will collapse it is starting to decay now and if that happens, the web will go the way of Usenet. And for anyone who's listening and doesn't remember Usenet, your children may not remember the web. Right. That's a, okay. So um, that's a long a monologue. <laughs> that, that's a scary. That's a scary thought. But um, but uh, in a non very smooth transition. Um, hopefully, <laughs> luckily, there's not ad blockers for radio. But uh, so we're going to take a, a short break. We'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance expert can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investments. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Pick out some new favorite podcasts now at Cranberry.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. 
And we're back, and I just want to give a congratulations to Secretary Hillary Clinton on her historic win last night, um, the first female nominee of a major political party. Um, so congratulations, Secretary Clinton. And we are back here um, talking about ad blocking um, with Dr. Johnny Ryan with PageFair, and uh, he was just giving us a rather bleak um, potential outlook of where this could go. And um, so... Is is there any is the 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 segments that engage in ad blocking is it is it generally universally dispersed or are there any geographic areas or um, demographic areas where there's a greater proclivity to use it? Yeah, dot com, and click on uh, Intel. You'll get a map of the world, and when you Mouse over the different parts of the world, you'll be able to see the different country. And you see, Greece leads the world in one thing right now, and that is ad blocking. Wow. Um, that, that came as a surprise. I could not tell you what the answer for that is. Well, but, they're going to have to have something. <laughs> well, uh, you know, they're, they're on the way back. They're working hard. Um, and we, 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 we've been where, where, where they're going. Um, speaking as an Irishman. Uh, now, Greece is by a whole lot of European countries that have pretty high rates relative to the US. You'll see Poland and Germany have really high rates. And we can anticipate that part of the reason for that is, you know, um, we're talking about a fairly uh, sophisticated people but also, particularly in Germany as well, um, a, a particular relationship with privacy, a particular interest in not being tracked. That seems to be a factor. Um, in the United States, actually, in our 2015 report, we broke it down by state. And with the day that's in it, uh, I can tell you that states that tended to vote Democrat all tend to add slightly more. You can make a few of us together, Bennett. Yes. Um, yeah. Recently, though, we uh, we released some more data about mobile apps, and we this year. So this is people who are who are blocking uh, ads on their mobile phones. There's, so we found huge figures in China, in India, in Indonesia, and also in Pakistan. So I think what's happening there is when you're on a mobile device, that's probably not a particularly and your data connection is probably really expensive luxury. Right. You just can't afford to be downloading someone else's ads. No, so that's this going on there, you know? That makes sense there, yeah. Not, 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 not as much here in the States. But, um, so, wow, so this is a red-blue thing. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> very slight. Very, very slight. It is um, a And so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens in November then for ad blocking. Um, so, um, what does this translate into in dollars? Well, the answer is it's it's damn hard to say because there are many different types of ads. It's hard to know which ones are being blocked. And um, uh, you know, when we took a a guesstimate at this, we did something very crude. The overall, um, uh, let's say, digital advertising spend, and we took the overall percentage in, uh, that was blocked, and we we just removed that percentage. 
stage. So we said that um, whatever was blocked would be equivalent in value to whatever was was earned, which is a, a leap. Actually, global level of, of of pain of financial law from revenue that wasn't made because of that blocking was in the was in the tens of billions. Uh, the figures were very very high. Now, you know, uh, I don't want to suggest that, that that the figures we put out are the definitive um, uh, economic estimate. What we made was a a rough uh, approximation. But it was a startling figure, and it it actually I think history to start to think about how we should approach this. Um, for 2015, you know, the, the figure we ended up with was uh, 21.8 billion in um, in in revenue blocked or not realized as a result of ad blocking, and even if we were out by 50% uh, higher or lower, right. Still startling, startling figures. Yeah, I mean, one, one, anything with the word billion usually gets people's attention. <laughs> but yeah, you're, you're talking yeah. Uh, sizable billions. Yes, you're not, yeah. not double-digit billions. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's startling. And and so that probably explains some of the um, the language you're hearing from ad industry people. Um, you know the IAB calls it robbery, plain and simple. Um, that why they're so vehement. But um, you, you know, the, there's a lot of this that is evolved of a moment. You know, 15 years ago, and another industry, the music industry. Um, you can you can criticize or or take legal action against. Um, one of a number of ad blockers, just as you could any one of a number of music piracy hubs. Right. And it may or may not be uh, a justifiable and right thing uh, to do that. But the music industry's lawyers went through the pirates like a hot knife goes through butter. Right. And they still ended up bowing down to Steve. And that story again <laughs> right although the story actually at least that story starts off well um so far the story here is they've lost three or four in a row in germany and they're trying to decide whether to to bring a lawsuit in the u.s well uh, so it's worth talking about but but let's just quickly revisit what happened in the music industry sure if you if you take the law out of it uh for a temporary uh, respite. Okay. Um, if you take the law out of it, the, the real story with the music industry, as I understand it, is that as soon as MP3 appeared on the scene, right. as soon as a guy um, uh, called Netfrak pirated a, a song called Until It Sleeps, as soon as that happened, high street retail of music was dead. It took 10 years to realize it was dead, but it, it, it was very much dead. And the industry didn't manage to develop a transaction for the new digital consumer. And they never that. And they got themselves into so that when one of the big tech platforms, in this case Apple, came down from the mountain with two stone tablets, the music industry had to bow down and play ball. 
Now, what happened to those? They became essentially, as far as I can see, commodity producers of content. Right. It's 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 almost like authors going into Facebook. Uh, for instant articles or going to Apple News and pumping their content instead of on the open web into public gardens, which makes a lot of sense for the you know would behave as if they didn't have the benefit of of the history of the music industry, and if they allow themselves to to make the same trap that the music industry made for itself, and the problem here actually is not any one particular ad blocker. As I said, the genie's out of the bottle. There will now be ad blockers. There might not be market leaders. There might be many, and one might have to search to find one. But one will always find an ad blocker from now on. And the question is, uh, why did that happen in the first Or who will be the Taylor Swift of the ad industry? um... (laughs) We are the Taylor Swift of the the ad industry. I never thought of saying that, but... That's who we are. And by the way, you mentioned uh, you mentioned what's going on in the Cologne courts. So there was yes. a there was a decision earlier this month, and the decision says that um, ad blocking is not illegal per se, but what is illegal, uh, what cannot be done, is to operate a whitelist that tells a publisher um, we will, uh, among other things, accept money from you, among other things. Um, including observation of certain standards. And once we have made this transaction and a relationship with you, we will no longer block you. Now, that's the extortion uh, in a Verticama's racket. Right, that, and that, that is going on. It is going on, but the Cologne court has now said that cannot happen in this jurisdiction. So, uh, in a sense, the ad blockers have won all their cases so far in Germany because ad blocking is legal. But the business model behind ad blocking uh, has a big question mark over it now. I should say that only some ad blockers have a business model. Others are not for profit. Okay. And the flip side, though, is I don't know if you saw Alexander Hunt mm-hmm. um, make a, a kind of a, a bold dare to the anti-ad blocking industry, you know the the future Taylor Swifts of the world. Um, <laughs> the, um, basically, he said to all publishers currently detecting ad blockers in the EU, look out! I am coming for you, and I am very well armed. Um, basically, warning that there's a the the very practice of detecting ad blocking violates EU privacy laws. Well, you know. <laughs> Um, yes, I'm familiar with that statement. And when he says armed, what he has in his back pocket are two pages of a of a letter he received from a cabinet member of a European commissioner. Um, in Europe, the European Commission is very important, and you have particular people who are commissioners. The officials who work in their cabinet are cabinet members. So the individual, I'm laboring this, but the individual who wrote the letter is neither the commissioner, the commission, or an official. It's a person who clarified some answers to, uh, that were put to him. So, um, you know, when Hanf said he was very well armed, he referred to two pages of a letter he got back from this member of the cabinet of a commissioner. Um, he didn't actually release the third page, which has just been released under freedom of information. And the third page suggests he isn't quite as well-armed as he thought he was. 
And maybe he knew this, which is why the third page wasn't released when he released the first two. Anyway, all of that aside, <clears throat> Hanf's objection is that, and I'm, I'm, I'm reading from something he's written, when he visits a website, uh, a script is uploaded to his terminal equipment that detects his ad-blocking tool and presents him with a message. However, as you will, of course, know, um, the terminal equipment here he's referring to is a browser on his computer. Right. And it is the terminal equipment that requests the download, not the upload to his terminal, which is his language. It's the terminal equipment that requests the download of the associated files so that to speak the transaction. <laughs> so he, of course, can use a browser that doesn't uh, performance cache, or he can he can switch off performance caching in his options, and then his complaint uh, goes away. But if he's making a complaint to anyone, I, I suggest it's actually to he who is operating his own terminal equipment. And for for us as a company, operate by far as uh, I'd be reasonably certain I can say this far and away the the largest network um, for publishers to help them understand what's happening with ad blocking on their site respect do not track and what that means is that we don't store data on users um, our analytics uh, tool has been built in such a way that the user is is in absolute uh, control has total visibility in what's happening and you know a, a complaint that suggests that we upload a script to their computer um, is simply inaccurate <laughs> Okay, well, we're going to take a short break. Um, we'll come back. We'll have more from um, Taylor Swift and her, and her ad company after these messages. You're listening to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. To talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, seen other SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising, or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? Studies show that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average. The web marketing experts at WMETraining.com can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the web marketing experts at WMETraining.com. Get educated and entertained by our panel of on-air experts and peers and engage with us anytime by following us on all major social platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and LinkedIn, so you can reach us before and after every program. We also feature our new live real-time chat room located on our new social shareable live streaming player. Engage with our hosts and listeners like you during every live and recorded program. Don't worry, you can still access all of our great webmasterradio.fm programs at cranberry.fm. Browse through our complete library of programs at cranberry.fm or on demand through iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, and Google Play. 
Refresh your bookmarks today to Cranberry Radio at cranberry.fm. Cranberry Radio, online anytime at cranberry.fm. The best gavel to gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. Uh, we're talking with Johnny Ryan about um, ad blocking, and um, Johnny is with the head of ecosystem for PageFear. But today it happens to be, and here's an odd little holiday for you, National Sleepyhead Day in Finland, where they have um, the last person in the family to wake up is thrown into a lake or to the sea or splash with water. And um, I, I, just for those of you at home, just imagine how that would go over in your household or your childhood household. Johnny, how would that have done, gone when you, where you grew up in Ireland? Well, Bennett, I have a very, very heavily pregnant wife at home right now. So if I were to do that to her, I think we'd have a baby <laughs> a little bit early. Or either that or, or the, uh, the baby wouldn't have a father here. <laughs> <laughs> One or the other. Yeah, probably both. But um, so we were talking and uh, going over the kind of the, the Taylor Swift effect that how um, ads need to um, well, ads need to discover um, their 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 post um, I guess second generation internet um, self mm-hmm. and figure out how are they going to thrive in an ad blocking universe. Yeah. Yeah. And and what is so is that that's and that's page that's page fair's raison d'etre right? It is. It, it absolutely is. So our job is to reconnect, rebuild that balance, uh, a fair relationship between the producers of content and their consumers. And I think when you look at the web as ad blocking growth. What's happening is there are two distinct parts of the web being created. There's the normal web, which is slowly shrinking. It's gradually shrinking as more people switch on blockers. And then there's the blocked web. The blockers are blocking ads. Now, we have the technology that enables publishers to show ads on that blocked web. And this brings us back. It's like a historical do-over. It brings us back to 95 moments where we can decide from scratch what ads should we on this 1995 web. Okay. And to me, is really clear. The first thing is, you know, we need to get some sense of what is proportionate. How do you preserve uh, viewer attention uh, when you have too many ads? So is there a way that we, we can, instead of overloading and overcluttering this space, we can make this a low, in fact, no clutter, premium uh, space where the ads are like magazine ads. You notice them even though they're not shouting at you. Right. You notice them because actually they're quite scarce. <laughs> you know, if there's one ad, even if it's if it's not in in really vivid video, page, I notice that more than ads on a page. And crazy though that sounds, it's true. So when you're a an advertiser, what you were trying to do in today's digital environment is you were trying to reach a premium audience with any competition and you're trying not to spend money uh, on ad fraud, you know, which is ads that are viewed and clicked by bots. 
And I think the block to web is probably the place where you're, you're uh, it's one place you're going to be able to do that if we do this. And, and how has that proven out so far? Well, it works pretty well. And the first thing who've installed an ad blocker, you would imagine that they are going to rebel widely. Um, well, actually, that might be the case if you show them really uh, obnoxious advertising uh, with the switched on the page and steals their data. However, before we did this, we surveyed people who use ad blockers and we asked them what kind of forms and so we found out that they are willing to tolerate video if they can skip it. They're willing to tolerate pictures of products. They're willing to tolerate text about products. So when we show those kind on of publisher sites live right now, we're not seeing we're we're not seeing users come back to us and say, you know, I, I can't live with this. And when we put on top of the ads to let them close the ads, we're not seeing users do much of that either. So, actually, if the ads behaved like magazine ads, the way ads used to behave when advertising, I think, worked better on the web, I think people can live with it, even if they're minded to block obnoxious advertising, obnoxious sites. And so, uh, how do you find that balance? How do you... So... I mean, the first thing for for us was to draw together the ecosystem, was to get people into rooms for conversations about this. And this started off in uh, September last year in the boardroom of the Financial Times, where PageFair organized a roundtable of publishers from all around the world. Um, and we also had folks from the advertising industry and some of the browsers and so on. Next, we went to Mozilla in London uh, in, in March, and we brought together... Uh, ad agencies, technology. And finally, in New York, most recently in April, we had a meeting that brought together all these groups, people like the Open Rights Group, the European Commission, the Association of Newspapers, World Federation of Advertisers, the 4As, the EFF, and you know, people like Stanford Center for Democracy. A really interesting mix of people. And what came out of that were, were a few really clear ideas. One is, yes, limit the quantity. Don't overload people with too many ads. Second, you know, maybe tracking people on the web uh, is something that needs to happen for some type of ads with people's buy-in. But maybe for some ads, you can just use the context of what the person's looking at, which is what advertising has used for 100 years. It's called adjacency. What that means is if you're reading a magazine about golf, you should be shown ads for golf clubs. Uh, that's a crude example. Um, so simple ideas – and and in my mind, I think there are there are two things that we really have to do, uh, or or rather shouldn't do. There are two things I think we should be avoiding. The first is, I think publishers in most cases um, would be mistaken if they just try and block ad blockers from accessing their content. Most publishers uh, run the risk that a user is just going to hit the back button, go to the the, the second Google search result and disappear off their site. So unless you've got really unique content, you know, blocking your users is a bad idea if you don't have that unique content. And the second mistake, I think, is to simply reinsert the same old ads, the worst of the worst offenders that appear everywhere else on the web. I think if we preserve the blocked web as a space where ads solve the consumer privacy and experience and security issues, I think then we've got something sustainable. We have, 
we have something that can support publishers and at the same time, for the first time, really respect users. Now, um, PageFear, you're based in Dublin and mm. you're really making an impact through these studies. Um, you, what, what's next for PageFear? Mm-hmm. Well, for us, it's it's very clear. Uh, we're already working with thousands of websites. Um, you know, our our job is to provide a service and to shape how that service is used in a way that that hopefully keeps the web sustainable and makes this block web sustainable too. So, I think the next thing you're going to hear from PageFair is probably the next time we we release more data about this phenomenon. Um, you know, the, there'll be a lot of heat and light around the new tranche of data and so on and so on. But in the background, what we're doing is we're helping publishers to to try and find a better balance with their users in a way that respects the user um, and that hopefully keeps those publishers sustainable. And, you know, having worked inside a, uh, inside a newspaper, an old gray lady newspaper, um, <laughs> I'm particularly sensitive to the idea that, that, it's easy to talk about lost advertising revenue, but when you see it come out of people's pensions and when you see the newsrooms start to thin, uh, that is when, you know, I think you you can justifiably be be very pessimistic about the future. So I think we've got a solution here that we've tested and that works with a lot of uh, a lot of premium publishers and. We, we now need to make absolutely certain that we stick to the mission uh, of making sure the web is sustainable and that advertising on the blocked web is respectful. Now, um, we only have a few minutes left. You, you are the author, as I mentioned at the start of the program, the author of a book on the history of the Internet and the digital future. Tell us more about that. <laughs> so that's the second book I wrote. The, the first was on... Um, was on militant Islamist radicalization on, on the web. And it was about basically terrorist propaganda. So the, the second book um, about the history of the web, let me kind of dig in a bit deeper into the technology. And Bennett, what I was trying to do was to write myself a kind of a dummy's guide. I knew that, you know, that the internet was shaping the future that I was going to have to operate in. But I also knew that I didn't understand the fundamentals of how it worked. So I decided I would go back through the, the 2000s, uh, the 1990s, the 1980s, 70s, 60s, 50s, to when the ideas that would become the internet were at their most simple, and to those early pioneers, how they worked and what they did. And so <clears throat> actually I ended up tracking politics on, on the internet and business, and people like Jesse Ventura and mm-hmm. uh, Harry and and those campaigns and how they contributed to the Obama campaign and how it worked, all of those things went hand in hand with the, the evolution of the technology and business and life on, on the web as we now know it. Very interesting. And actually a library journal called the book, The Best Western History of the Internet offers a date, um, but it's up to the readers to connect the dots of where things may be headed. So that's, <laughs> that's quite, a, quite a, a heralding. So if people want more information on you, where should they go? Okay, so the place to go is pagefair.com. Um, for background on me, it's pagefair.com slash Dr. Johnny Ryan. Um, for our reports, which I suspect will be the most interesting thing for readers to understand this phenomenon, once you go into Pagefair, just click uh, Intel, and there's a suite of reports and tools that you can use to understand what's happening with ad blocking. And- um, 
sorry, can interrupt. They're, they're great reports, and that that's kind of how I found you. Just looking at the, you know, the, the, there's a wealth of data there, and I strongly recommend them. Um, they're also on SlideShare as well. Great, great, and and you know, the the funny thing that is happening with this ad blocking phenomenon is that more and more surveys of users are now appearing, and uh, those surveys constantly point to. Uh, a really common list of reasons why people are ad blocking. I just want to go back to what we were talking about at the beginning. In no particular is that the ads obscure the content, the ads are tracking you and you're concerned about your privacy, the ads are hoovering up your bandwidth and your data, the ads are slowing the speed at which websites load, and importantly, the ads might expose you to security risks, which is a, a big issue that we had to clean up. Um, but what surveys ever talk about is people are blocking ads because they can (laughs) when when you leave the studio bennett and you walk down the street and you see a big billboard you know you're you're glad that you have a neck you can turn your head right you you will naturally avoid ads unless they are particularly well chosen so we would need to have um uh, you know an absolutely scarce set of inventory for every ad to be so premium as that. So humans are always going to want to avoid ads and advertisers and marketeers have to live with that and have to adjust to it and have to make their ads interesting. But what they've been doing for the last 20 years is making their ads in, invasive. Instead of the ad having a, a, a kind of a charm or a charisma, it literally jumps out at you. Well, um, we're running out of time. So based on that, I guess that's why um, the consumers in the ad industry are never, ever getting back together, um, to quote Taylor Swift. And I want to thank you very much, Johnny. It's been a pleasure having you. And uh, thank you for joining us from Dublin. And um, have a happy sleepyhead day yourself. Um, And the same to everyone at home. Um, Follow us on the web. Um, at cyberlawradio.com on WordPress cyberlawradio.wordpress.com is our blog and on Twitter at cyberlawradio let us know what you think Um, join us next week for another edition of Cyberlaw and Business Report this is Bennett Kelly saying um, have a great week check us out at the Internet Law Center internetlawcenter.net thanks again and thank you thanks again Johnny thank you The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.